0: Greetings and welcome to another edition of Trinity Radio. I'm Jonathan Pritchett and along with me is Braxton Hunter. The Braxton Hunter. I am such a fan. Oh, thank you. Still Braxton Hunter after all these years. Oh, I appreciate that. Look at all this self-love that people loathe. Yeah, it's almost like we're friends. That's right. Uh, Today we're going to talk about an interesting topic. We're going to talk about Catholics becoming evangelicals. And the other way around. And the other way around. So stick with us.
1: Welcome to Trinity Radio with Dr. Braxton Hunter and Professor Jonathan Pritchett.
0: We got Dr. Braxton Hunter, pretty talented and well-known apologist, shared the stage with the William Lane Craig's, to the Mike Lacona's, to all those guys. Jonathan Pritchett, Dr. Pritchett is here, and he is a New Testament guy, does a lot of stuff, a lot of podcasts, a lot of debates,
1: so on and so forth. You can go out of this room tonight and be a Christian apologist. Now, it may not be that you're able to give the answers, but you know you can be immediately when we're done here tonight, you can be an answer finder for people. Welcome back to the main show. I'm so pleased to be here today with Doctor Jonathan Pritchett.
0: Oh, we're using the, the titles now. Well, <laughs> Doctor Hunter. Well,
1: you know that's another thing. That the I've Great heard, Reverend. Dr. Heard, <laughs> the Very Reverend. The, the Very Reverend Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> no, back to the show topic. Uh,
0: okay, what brought this topic on? Okay, so my my wife has discovered this thing called Poshmark. Okay, so Poshmark is where you can go buy clothes for like two bucks. Or three bucks, and then sell it for like forty bucks. You know, it's actually sounds great. Yeah, it's a better living than this.
1: <laughs> so she rifles through like thrift stores, Goodwill, right. and yeah. she looks for exceptionally good or retro or cool looking clothes, right? And then sells them so that somebody else doesn't have to rifle through. Yeah,
0: and and, and in hoity-toity places like Newburgh, and, and you know, when you go to Mother Teresa's, they they don't just drop off. <clears throat> Walmart clothes or whatever they drop off not not the stuff that I wear, I wear Walmart stuff, but they drop off like fancy stuff, you know, and so my wife will instead of letting somebody buy it for cheap to wear it, she'll buy it out from under them and then sell it for a profit. Gotcha, right uh so you know, not very charitable, but uh good for us, <laughs> you know, yeah, but anyway, so she, we were at this mission store and and you got to be real selective, I mean, there's always a diamond in the rough because there's a lot of stuff, so she can be there forever in these stores and because I'm a good husband I tag along and a lot of these places have they sell used books well the the mission store out here was selling books for a dollar mm-hmm. and I came across Scott and Kimberly Hahn's book Rome Sweet Home for a dollar and I got some other books too I actually bought Radical from by David Platt for a dollar oh yeah yeah it's I didn't actually that. own my own copy it's worth that yeah well I wanted to I, and I bought Crazy Love by Francis Chan for a dollar oh yeah I've yeah. read it uh, have you? See I haven't, but I said uh, these people sell a lot of these fluffy books. You know, I mean it's not just Joel Osteen's your best life now. These are fluffy books too. <clears throat> They're not mm-hmm. like, you know, academic works. And so if it's not academic, it's all fluffy. So no offense to big fans of that, but I was like I want to look at these cuz I can write one of these. Right. If it's just a bunch of drivel, you know, evangelical slop, I can do this. Just kidding. Um it's not a slop. I I haven't read it yet. But I read Scott Hahn's book. It's only like 182 pages, so you knock that out in about five or six hours. You know, uh, you know, large print, you know. Whatever.
1: And this has been an episode of Shopping with the Pritchett. So right. you enjoyed it.
0: Shopping with the Pritchett. Well, my wife bought shoes, if you must know. She bought a <laughs> so, lot of shoes. She so bought a pair of Uggs for like we, eleven bucks and she says next winter they're gonna sell for like sixty. Yeah. So that that's eleven dollars well spent. Yeah. But you see, know where Uggs,
1: Uggs come from? No. Australia. Oh. Well. So you bought this book. You read it. Evangelicals yeah. becoming Catholic. Tell me about it.
0: Okay. Well, their story, this happened, I guess, in the 80s and early 90s, because I think the book was put out in 93. Um, but he was an MDiv student. Presbyte- they were both Presbyterians. And he was an MDiv student, and she was a master of theology. She was getting her master's mm-hmm. uh, in seminary together, and mm-hmm. they were this couple— and they start, what seemed to have tipped the whole thing off was this issue of birth control. Mm-hmm. And she started researching this birth control stuff. Yeah, And he was Presbyterian Calvinist, so he was, he, admittedly, he was like, I was anti-Catholic, like big-time anti-Catholic. And so was she too, uh, but she was less, you know, Whatever about it. But she ended up being the last one to convert. She converted years after he did. But uh, but he was like all amped up. You know, we still still protest. Rome is worse than everything else on the planet and all that. That was the kind of guy that Scott Hahn says he was in his book. I'm okay. just taking the book for it. But I've met Presbyterians, Calvinists, mm-hmm. diehard. So it's not a stretch. Sorry. Yeah. You know. Um, so anyway, the first issue that came on the table was uh, birth control, birth control, and it was interesting that you know she was like you know well, uh, and this will come back up in a minute when we talk about evangelical uh, Catholics coming over to the evangelical side. Um, but it was interesting because it's like before 1930, no Christians believed in birth control, whether Protestant, Catholic, whatever, uh, um, or at least not no, but most Christians, regardless of affiliation was in favor of birth control back, you know, before 1930. And that slowly shifted for Protestant and evangelical churches, but not for the Catholics. They've stuck to their guns on that, you know? And then the next issue that they talked about that they were, is they abandoned the belief in justification by faith alone. They could no longer make that work. Um, and I, uh, and people who know me know that I get that, you know? Um, I'm, I've never swam the Tiber, I don't plan to, right? But I understand the objections to that and I don't care what, I don't care what pro, my product, fellow Protestants say. Um, James 2:24 throws a monkey wrench in it and you there are explanations that can preserve justification by faith alone, but there are some Protestant interpretations of that that I think are so laughable that you need to quiet down because you're just trying to explain it away to preserve Luther's slogan, okay? So that I kind of resonated with me, because people know I'm not a fan of justification by faith alone as a phrase. I am a fan of if what you mean by justification is the ground of our justification is our personal faith in Christ alone from which good works spring. I'm fine with hearing all that, right? Well, that's but That's all hard. I've ever heard. Right, but the phrase, I'm not a fan. I know it's one of the five solos, but I'm not a fan of the phrase because... It's not very useful because nobody really understands the nitty-gritty of it. So when you say I believe in justification by faith alone, and then and then somebody says James 2, 4 is in the Bible and it <clears throat> says you're justified by works and not by faith alone. So my 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 thing's in the Bible, your thing is what Martin Luther said.
1: Well, the, the danger know? in it is it could look like when someone's when someone hears their preacher say justification by faith, if they ever do read through Scripture, and they come to the passage, it could trip them up and say, "Wait a minute, this right. is this is in complete conflict with the with the mantra that one of the mantras that yeah, we live by by faith
0: alone, faith alone, faith alone—and then you read in the Bible, justified by works and not by faith alone." And, and but like a- said,
1: Abraham was what you know Abraham had faith. You know. But he also was put to the test with uh, Isaac, right? Right. Yeah. Because it's not that
0: it's not just that James says justified by works, not by faith alone, but then three more times it says you're justified by works. Was it Abraham justified by works? Was it Rahab mm-hmm. justified by I mean, justified by works is James saying. Yeah. So I get it
1: and there's certain But p- all I've ever heard in my life, and I know that we don't want to camp out on this point, but yeah. all I've ever heard from evangelical preachers growing up, and all I've ever said is, Yeah, you're justified you're justified by faith alone. Uh, in the sense that um, it's, your, it's, it's by, by grace through faith. Yeah. But then if that's really happened, there should be works. right? And that, that's what James is kind of talking about. Yeah, that's but, all I've ever heard. But
0: I don't think that goes far enough with James, too. So I always push back on my Protestant friends, especially the ones who do the sloppy exegesis of James that would convince no one. You know, um, Sorry, I'm thinking like Doug Moo type stuff um no you know this this the 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 show me interpretation because james says a lot more than just i'll show you my faith by my works because he says that works that works perfect faith they fulfill faith they do demonstrate faith you know but uh they work together with faith there's four things not just show but there's four things that it does and i always like to remind my protestant friends that that you know, Paul does not ever say justified by faith alone. He says you're justified by faith, not by works of the law, right? Now I think that you can get there. I mean, like like I said, I, I don't, I, I'm not Catholic on this point, but I'm also not Protestant on this point either. Because I'm like, at what point does does the word alone mean nothing? Because the Bible talks about you're justified by works and not by faith alone. That's James two twenty four. You're justified by uh, faith and not by works of the law. You know, you get that in Romans and Galatians. You're justified freely by His grace you're justified. Jesus was raised for our justification. It says that in Romans. And then it says uh, you're justified by the blood. So blood, resurrection, faith not works of the law, works not by faith alone, uh, and grace. That's five things that the Bible says you're justified by. Yeah, but there's only
1: one of those that in any way, on the surface, seems like a paradox. There's only one of those that seems contradictory but uh but tell you now we all know it's not yeah but there's only one of those and it's the james passage
0: yeah but the way you, there's two different ways you can resolve that james had a different dictionary than paul did mm-hmm. the same vocabulary that's nonsense uh, that that one that's one of those bogus protestant sweep under the rug let's let's pretend that this doesn't because because uh, the catholics will say well paul said you're justified by works uh, by faith and not by works of the law he never says you're justified by faith alone you know, and then they'll remind everyone that Luther put that in there. Okay, so but all that is to say, when the Bible says you're justified by five different things, uh, and you say you're justified by faith alone, it, I get what Protestants mean, and I'm still on that side of the fence. But I'm saying I understand. The you're just other saying, side. be careful
1: what you say. Right. Choose your and, words and, more and carefully. And of course,
0: the word "alone" doesn't mean five things. But if you mean, it, it, this is what I tell my Protestant friends: if the best versions of faith alone. I'm with you. If, if faith alone means blood, grace, works, faith and resurrection, fine. But then the word alone stops having, you know, now we're postmodern <laughs> and we can make the word alone mean more mm-hmm. than single by itself. Yeah. Uh, but the best versions of it can account for that. Um, but all that is to say, I understand why they, they moved to the Catholic side. Like you gotta have works because works justify. James says it, and there's a sense in which that's true. But there's a sense that even Thomas Schreiner, who's a Reformed Baptist guy, you know, down there at Southern, he agrees. He says, "Yeah, works do justify, but they're not the basis of your. Work. They're not the grounding of your justification, mm-hmm. right? But that doesn't mean that they don't just. They, they don't contribute to those who are justified, is how I say it. Those who are justified have works, and that is." The, no one's going to be justified without works. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Do you want to move on to the uh, back to the main topic? Yeah.
0: Now? So yeah, I just want to explain that, and I know some people are saying, "Oh, he's he's right there. He's with them. He's about to abandon uh, sola fide. He's no longer." Pro- if if you define faith alone properly, okay. If you define it very poorly, and then you slop around with James. To try to make James mean something that doesn't contradict something Paul never said, I, no, I don't buy it. So I understand where they got to the point uh, where they're they're not on board with the faith alone thing. But then he starts ke- he starts really getting into Catholic theology, which he'd never gotten that far into. And what really sold it for Scott Hahn more so than his wife was uh, the Eucharist. And that's where he had to decide, you know, because for Protestants, that's the resacrificing of Christ every week in the Mass, you know. And that was, like, the hardest thing for him to overcome. But once he says that he understood that, you know, everything else just fell into place. And then, of course, uh, which I thought this was weird because he said, because transubstantiation... Uh, it actually is the literal, you know, bo- bo- becomes the, the body and blood of Christ. What was interesting is that he didn't really talk about transubstantiation much. He used real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, which I know Presbyterians who talk about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, just not a, in, in the substance, right? It's not a physical, substantive change. Uh, so I thought that that was a little bit misleading in the book. Uh, but I, I got over it. But it, basically he was like, oh, I'm really feasting on Christ and there's nothing wrong with this. We're not like literally re-crucifying Christ, but it's a covenantal renewal is what they say. The, 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 the sacrifice of Christ and the bread and the blood and the mass is not a re-crucifixion of Christ, but it is a renewal <clears throat> of the covenant thing. And he thought that that was great. And then it took his wife. Uh, it was funny because him and one of his other Presbyterian buddies in the book uh, they were both in two different cities getting confirmed at the same time into the Catholic Church, and both of the sponsors for, the, for Scott Hahn and the other guy, uh, their, their last name was Wolf, and so his wife had this clever line in the book that says, i found the irony of Wolves leading my husband and his friend into the yeah. Catholic Church. So it was really well written, you know. But she finally gives in after they've been having all these theological fights because remember, she had an MA in theology too, mm-hmm. And they were, you know, lock and horns, and and her dad was a Presbyterian minister, and all this stuff. But anyway, it was about their journey to Catholicism. And I've been interested in this subject, so I, I picked up the book. It was worth a dollar, you know, in the used uh, book section. Uh, but I've been, we, you and I, have had these conversations in the past because we know people like Frances Beckwith. We know uh, Holly Ordway when she became a Christian, she went to the Orthodox Church, and then she went to the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Johnson, fellow eagle from Viola, you know, wrote the book. Um, oh, How to sorry. Talk to a How to Talk to a Skeptic, thank you. Which we
1: have talk. here as a textbook yeah. in certain classes. It yeah. did not have Catholic stuff in it.
0: But he he had the, the, the show. Uh, yeah, so... What was the name of his podcast? I can't remember. The Don Johnson The Don, show. Don Johnson Show, where it's like, <laughs> God is great, beer is good, people are great. I, I always remember his theme song. Uh, yeah. But,
1: but look, here's the thing they all become Catholic back, like- back when I back when I first got into apologetics uh, shortly thereafter it was in the early days of podcasting and there were very few shows. there were very few apologetics programs, yeah. maybe I don't know a handful and Don Johnson was the best one in my opinion. I think there were a couple of like heavyweights but Don Johnson was an unknown and um, he would just bring on anybody. Any, any Anybody would want to come on and argue with him, and he's very nice, but he would argue. He uses a cumulative case apologetics approach and stuff, and I still can go back and listen to his episodes and enjoy them. And I liked him. I listened to him for several years, and finally he said something that I really had a problem with, and so I emailed him. He emailed back, and uh, we developed a friendship. And ultimately, I asked him to come teach, uh, as a visiting kind of professor type thing, teach a worldview class, our worldview analysis class, and people loved it. The problem was right about that time, he told me that he was uh, going to the next Easter convert to Catholicism. And so um, we didn't really continue after that, um, because uh, while we're a non-denominational school, um, you know, there are just some there are just some doctrinal stuff there that's just too different uh, for what we want here. But... Uh, I started listening to his program because his co-host was not Catholic, and his co-host was trying to press him on it. Why? What, what led to this move? Yeah. And the only thing I ever got out of Don Johnson was Catholicism has the weight of church history behind it. And, the, okay, fine, but I, I need more. That, that's, not, that's not good enough, you know? Uh, so I, he said, well, look, let's watch my movie. He's got a movie called Convinced. And so I watched the movie and the movie was really just a bunch of testimonies about different famous people, including Holly Ordway yeah. and maybe Francis Beckwith, Probably
0: had Scott Hall in it go, too.
1: going mm-hmm. to Catholicism. And they were very, you know, emotionally powerful, but I, I didn't hear the reasons the the, right. you know, the, the, the intellectual reasons
0: why. Yeah. This now was, you know, I, I get that though, probably because I, I looked at it from their perspective. Mm-hmm. I can see how you get from point A to point B. I, I can I, I can see. see well, explain it, it to me. Okay, well, okay, I can see how, like you said, some of it is emotional. I think if, if now, I'm not
1: saying that's all there was. No, I know. I'm saying that's all they showed me.
0: Right. Well, that's uh, that's a powerful thing, though. Yeah. And I, but I see how if you're on your way, and, and I guess as I got this from the Hans book. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, there was two major things for them as Protestants, right? It was Sola Fide and Sola Scriptura, yeah. right? And um, I think Sola Scriptura uh, fell before the Eucharist thing. It, you know, I read the book in one sitting. I haven't studied it, but I'm just kind of going off memory here. Uh, but he was always talking about those were the two biggest things, of the pillars of the Reformation was Sola Scriptura. And and I saw, I see the logic, like I already said, about Sola Fide. Faith alone—that's um, not a hard one, I think, to be convinced of in certain respects. I could probably, like, like I said, I, I I could probably see if you buried yourself from the Catholic perspective, or an, you had a nuanced perspective like me. I could see how you could go all—you you could go ahead and sign on to the Catholic thing if there's a bunch of other pieces in place, right? Um, I thought that like the explanations for purgatory uh, and, and Mary and those issues, um, those, those seem like he made that look easy. And I was like, that's where I questioned the intellectual side of things. Like, come on, I know veneration, we know veneration is not worship. That was never the thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I I know that. that, Well,
1: let's back up and explain what you're talking about. So when somebody challenges say, um, well, you're, and we may have talked about this in a Wyma yeah. episode from yeah. last year, but why uh, you're worshiping these saints, and particularly you're worshiping Mary? And what they'll say is, no, 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 no we're not. We're venerating, um, and 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 that's a different thing than worship. It's right. it's an appreciation. It's a it's a expression of respect. I don't know exactly how they would verbalize it, but not worship. We're venerating. We're putting them in a place of importance uh, based on you know their. Um, what they, the way they lived their life or whatever, okay. Th- so that's not worship. Now, <laughs> this is going to sound like a cheap shot, but I do like the criticism of, okay, you're saying that when somebody is, you know, doing all this stuff toward the Virgin Mary,
0: yeah,
1: um, that that's not worship, but you grant that it looks like worship, right? Yeah, but it's not. It's veneration. Okay, but it's not worship, but it looks identical, really, in many respects to, yep, that's right. Okay, so if someone was engaging in goddess worship with Mary, how would you know the difference? Right. right? I think that's a fair criticism, as is the criticism, um, you know, because what they'll say, I I think this is a pretty good response. I mean, if I was Catholic, I think I would see this as the best response they could give about praying to the saints, praying to Mary. And what they'll say on that is, um, well, you would ask someone who's living right. to pray for you, right? Like, hey, would you pray for me? I'm going to be trying to witness to my grandfather or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. Well, if we're believers, we believe that once our brothers and sisters are dead in Christ, they're still with Christ, they're still alive, really. So what's the harm in asking them to pray for you J- when they're dead, just like you would while they're alive? Yeah. Now, okay, fine, uh, f- fair enough. Here's the problem when it comes to any particular saint, specifically Mary. At any given, and this, this, I know that people talk about this all the time, and I know that Catholic apologists have responses and all that, yeah. but here's the thing. At any given time, how many people on planet Earth do you think are praying to Mary? Now, is Mary omniscient?
0: Right, can she hear all this?
1: <laughs> can she hear all that at once, right? Uh, if she can, then I would think in some sense she's omniscient. If she can't, then are those prayers doing any good? Uh, is there a really long list that she'll never complete?
0: <laughs> what, what, is
1: going, you know, what is, What is how do you handle this yeah, stuff? Right. So I think they got problems, but.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Now, uh, that I don't know how they would answer, but he did address the first thing about the <laughs> difference between veneration and worship, and if it looks like a duck, then quack. Um, you know, throw back to my debate. Um, what he said, he had a response for that, but I didn't find it compelling. Uh, his response was, "Well, I get it because from my Protestant background, we associate worship with all the external things that we do—singing hymns in church and sitting down and listening to the sermon and all of that stuff—and prayers. And that's our—that's how Protestants associate worship with 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 the things that you do. Whereas he learned from the Catholic Church that that's not really worship so much as worship is the internal bent towards God and the mm-hmm. eternal infusion of grace that turns you back towards God." Right, and they're like, and so, when when somebody honors your your, your son or your daughter and says that yeah, your daughter has done a, a good thing, well done, that that doesn't take away from your glory. That actually adds to your glory because you're the one who raised the daughter to be that. And so that, this kind of thing is like this two, you know, it's like it doesn't take away from God's glory because Mary's God's, you know, painting. She he did that in Mary. And so you're just glorifying God again if you're, you know, saying anything nice about Mary, uh, which I didn't find compelling. And the, the difference between outward and inward expression, I don't find that compelling either. But that's what he said. I'm just telling you what he said in his book. Um, but like I said, I didn't find those types of things. The purgatory thing, I didn't find that, you know. Sorry, Jerry Walls. I mean, I know that he's kind of has his own version of that, but I don't find any sort of versions of that compelling. Yeah. Uh, I don't find the Mary thing compelling, but I—but— but I do understand getting wrapped up in, in in what the Catholics, when we get to, don't like. He got wrapped up into what he liked about it, which was walking around with the rosary and praying the prayer. And, you know, all the sights and smells and bells and whistles and scents and all of that other stuff just seemed more to him a, a more embodied sort of Christianity, whereas Protestantism was mostly analytical and then well, this, this, analytical on the one hand and then shallow on the other. We'll see, right?
1: that's a really—and and I think we're going to see more of that because, frankly, where—and people may not be aware of this, but where throughout the 90s and 2000s up until today, the quote-unquote contemporary church— has been the one with the you know the rock music and then the Hillsong-type music and the uh, TED Talk-type sermon and all that sort of thing. Now what it is is there's a, there's a push toward more liturgical-type stuff, yeah. more of the smells and bells type thing. And the way that's manifesting among a lot of people I know, in the States anyway, is a, a movement toward Anglicanism. Yeah, You know, uh, not toward Catholicism, but toward Anglicanism, which um, if that's happening, I can imagine some people, you know, there being a more of a push back toward Catholicism.
0: Yeah, I mean, Anglicanism is basically the the midway between Protestantism and Catholicism. It's Church of England. Yeah, it's, kind of odd England. Thing. Yeah, it's yeah. an odd mix of both. Yeah. Um, so, but but for me, I understood how he got there, the way that he framed it. I don't know, but for me, I don't think that I I could... In fact, I'll give him credit for Justification by Faith Alone. Yeah, that one, I'm sorry, guys. It's just not as... uh, The way that we talk about it's so diluted that it's not as, like... It's not Luther overstated it being the pillar by which the church stands or falls. You know the doctrine by which the church. Stands. Well, I think that was I think that was way overstatement. Uh, I agree with uh, Douglas Campbell that J.T. What he calls justification theory. Well, wait, hold on a second. Uh, we aff- probably not. I
1: affirm anyway what people mean when they say that. Right. That's what okay. I'm saying. Yeah, but so I don't want anybody to freak out here. We affirm what you mean when you say that. It's clarity that we're seeking right. here, so that when people read their Bible, they don't see the Bible saying something that you're not that you're saying the opposite of. Right, you know. Uh,
0: so you've got the justification by faith alone thing, and then you've got the sola scriptura thing. That I know that, like, I'm not actually a sola scriptura guy. I like prima scriptura uh, better than sola scriptura because eh, I guess definitionally they mean the same thing. But as a good Wesleyan uh, scripture reason uh tradition and experience i think church tradition counts a long way uh church tradition is one of those things for me that that helps me understand why we have a canon on top of the spirit's guidance in the church tradition but that's tradition there's no table of contents in the bible that's inspired um, uh, so that i kind of understand a little bit uh, how you could move towards uh swim out a little bit further into the tiber so to speak or Kind of peek behind Wittenberg's door, or whatever analogy you want to use for this. You know, I know they accuse Layton; he's going to end up Catholic. I'm, I'm probably more likely, and I'm never going to become Catholic. <laughs> but the sola scriptura thing, I, I get that too. I get the the pull of tradition and history, like Don Johnson was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how you get to the Pope from you know Jesus's conversation with Peter, and then making this elaborate vicar of Christ. Stuff. No offense, Catholic It's just weird. Um, And and I was talking to you the other day, private. That seems more likely under a Pope John Paul or a a Joseph Ratzinger. What what was he? Benedict something. Mm -hmm. Uh, This current Looney Bin guy, no offense, Pope Francis. I don't see how anyone could go under that guy because a lot of Catholics are dissatisfied with him. So it was an interesting piece of pop history, you know, for for this this type of movement. Uh, But all the other doctrines, I don't get at all. Like, I mean, I can understand how you could get there on Sola Fide and Sola Scriptura and say, no, these just don't work. Um, The tradition counts. I mean, tradition is actually what keeps me on the fence about the doctrine of hell. And I know that everyone's like, pick a side, you know, and I'm like, no. Uh, But tradition, you know, I think counts. Mm -hmm. So I understand that pull. Mm-hmm. You know, but all but Mary veneration, the you know some of these ex cathedra stuff like Mary was assumed into heaven, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what Revelation about. The oh, perpetual
1: virginity, perpetual
0: virginity, all this other stuff that you have to pile on board. I'm like, yeah, no. And I know that they have their apologetics for it, but and some of their not apolo- good ones. Some of their apologetics they can hang with Protestants in these debates. Some of them they just they can't get off the ground because they're just yeah. so. No offense, Catholic. And we love Catholics. Let's, let's stop to say we love Catholics. We think yeah. uh, some of some Catholics are going to be in heaven with us. Some aren't. Same thing we can say. Some Southern Baptists are going to be in heaven. Some aren't. Mm-hmm. You know? We're not saying being Catholic doesn't make you saved because we don't believe that. Right. But what I'm more interested in is not whether or not you're going to heaven when you die. It's why do you believe that? Mm-hmm. And is it because you accept all of this other stuff that makes that easier to swallow? Maybe. But I wouldn't swallow it. You know, and that's that. That for me, I, I didn't get how he overcame some of those minor hurdles, some of which he didn't even address. In this the book. is the
1: problem that I always, yeah. whenever I hear uh, Catholics trying to explain to me how they got there, um, they'll, they'll explain a couple of things, right? And usually, it's a couple of things that they think we think are going to be the most difficult, or they'll explain some criticism. Like one of the things I have heard is. Uh, there's no authority really in a Protestant churches. Right. I mean, you, if you if if you cheat on your wife, or if you yeah leave your wife for no good reason or whatever, I don't know whatever it is, and uh, you're a Protestant. If the pastor tries to do some kind of church discipline with you, you can just say yeah no thanks. I'm an American. I loves my freedoms, and you're going to go down to the next church think about of some church, or so. of some other denomination, right. or go to the non-denominational church where you can sit in the dark or whatever it is, you know. And uh, but but with a Catholic church, this is what they say. But then I think, can you still do that with right. another Catholic go to church? Another church. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. But that is one thing they say is that the the, the, the you know the more uh, consistent authority that way. You know, yeah. it's something that I've heard them say. But I'll, yeah. I'll see them pick out one or two things that they don't like about Protestantism or that they think Protestants misunderstand about Catholicism and respond to that. And then that's kind of the end of the discussion. There's a whole bunch of stuff. There's a whole box of theology right. that I don't get. You need to explain all of that to me. <laughs>
0: right. No, and explain how it's true. Not that... Yeah, not just explain how it works. Why should
1: I believe that?
0: Yeah. And that that's the thing that and a lot of those things, that you and I kind of in the, in the, the, the second tier of issues, uh, like for most people, the big ones would be, how could you ever compromise justification by faith alone and solo scriptura? Actually, that's easier than you think. It's all this other weird stuff that you're just kind of like, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's where it is for me. Like I said, I can at least sympathize with some of the big ticket items, uh, at least those two big Protestant ticket items. Uh, but the other stuff, No. And he didn't address much of it, just the Mary thing and the purgatory thing, very briefly on purgatory, and I didn't find that at all convincing. Um, so, well, there's a clear attempt, and they're not even—they're
1: not trying to hide this; they're open about it. Yeah, there is a clear attempt by Catholicism to bring people into Catholicism, obviously, and then second to bring home. There's something Catholic come home or something. It's a whole movement to try and get people who were raised in it or whatever to come back to Catholicism. And so uh, it's, it's a very intentional sort of thing.
0: Well, he was very open in the end of the book and his afterward about how, yeah, Catholics have some of the same stuff we saw in Protestantism. They have a bunch of liberalism you know, liberal Catholic priests who don't believe anything that they're t- talking about, all that, you know, kind of like Episcopalians or, you know, certain Anglican mm-hmm. priests and all that. So he was very open about that, too, and he thought it was sad that the, the mm-hmm. Catholics would be uh, have th- that same type of issue that Protestants would because he wasn't expecting that, but, you know, he's like, well, nobody, n- no tradition's perfect, but they, they're the closest thing, so it's true. And if you just become a true Catholic, you know, Okay. Uh, er, er, your life will be wonderful and that's how he concluded his book i was thinking no way um but i understood how he got there that's fine and i understand i understand uh, kind of how people go there um but what struck me the most um is after i read that book i started reading you know uh Polling data on this, or survey data, you know, um, not just Barna, not just whatever, but uh, Pew Research and other research facilities, uh, research uh, groups on this. Uh, why do evangelicals go Catholic, and why do Catholics go evangelical? And it's not even close to the ratio. I mean, it's 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 overwhelmingly Catholics coming into evangelical. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And interestingly well, enough, praise
1: God. Praise God.
0: Yeah. And interestingly enough, it's 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 they're looking for a deeper spirituality, which is why a lot of these Protestants become Catholics because they're looking for a deeper spirituality. Um, And the 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 birth control thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it's none of these big ticket things that we think of as cultural things, right? Mm -hmm. I don't the the church's stance on this issue is too rigid or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, When it got to doctrinal like the doctrinal tensions between Protestants and Catholics those numbers go down both ways but it's overwhelmingly more and more catholics are coming into the evangelical churches so you're saying
1: wait a minute are you saying the reason that either way they go is because they want a deeper spirituality
0: that's one of the main things
1: and it's not so much the doctrinal or intellectual reason right
0: and then for the catholics it's the birth control thing we want to we, we don't want to wait have
1: catholics coming to, to evangelicals because they don't want they want to be allowed to use birth control right
0: you know and other things like that or or it feels like like it's a cold (laughs) ritualistic thing and they want something more freeing and spiritual so they'll go into a mega church like the one we attend to and they'll lift their arms and they'll sing inane songs and whatever else um so so i find it interesting but for the same reason they want to go smell incense evangelicals want to go smell incense they want to they, they they want to pretend a wafer turns into Jesus, you know, uh, you know, they want something more embodied Christianity. They want something that's more, that seems more, literally. Yeah. (laughs) They want something that's more, uh, robust. Yeah. Or reverent
1: tactical or or, tactile.
0: Yeah. And and reverent and all of that stuff. And so it's spirituality, both ways. They just have different definitions of it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, I, I think, you know, I think I understand going to Catholicism more than I understand them coming here because when I one of the knocks against contemporary evangelicalism is that it's shallow, you know, and it's 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 the TED talk and the and the uh, re- repetitive praise music, you know, and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's, I guess it's a different kind of spiritual experience that they're that, that they're looking for. They're different. They want something different than what they've been exposed to now a lot of these people um i i I think when i when i when i hear about them coming to that i understand like what you said it's true in reverse there's a lot of shallow thinking or whatever but the uh, you know a lot of shallow expressions of worship in protestantism i I, of course we talked about deep and shallow in another program what does that even mean I, i think that you can have a meaningful worship experience in either kind of setting whether it's a old country time Baptist church where you're singing out of the hymnal, or you're singing contemporary praise worship music, or you're chanting in Latin, whatever you can you can make it meaningful. But but you notice that the issues that for for crossing sides both ways really isn't theological, except for this Francis Beckwith, Don Johnson, Holly Ordway, Scott Hahn type people. For them. The theological attraction gets them there, and then the whole other shebang keeps them, just makes it all the more, oh, I made the right decision, this is the true church, blah, 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 blah. But for them, it's more heady, and then the heart comes with it. I wonder, I'd like
1: to talk to Holly Ordway and find out from her, because in the film Convinced, I don't remember exactly what, I I don't remember her saying a lot of the intellectual things. I remember her saying, when she went there, it felt like coming home, you know? And, and so we, even with the, you know, it's kind of like Francis Collins, you know, the, the language of God, um, and yeah. I, don't know, I think he might be a Catholic, I don't know. But, but, but you know, he's, a, uh, he's the head of the Human Genome Project, but the reason he came, and he now sees the human genome as great evidence for, for the language of God, right? right? But that ain't why he came to Christianity. Right. You know, the came he came to Christianity was something like an argument from beauty, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, so just because you're an intellectual and you move doesn't mean the reason you moved was intellectual. Right.
0: And, well, and Scott Hahn and Kimberly Hahn didn't try to sell that. I'm not trying to overstate mm-hmm. that, but they did talk about, you know, in addition to all the other trappings, you know, there is a long theological tradition going from the fathers and to Augustine to Aquinas, you know. Uh, and there's a rich tradition there. Mm -hmm. And they think that they feel somehow that coming home, they feel more connected to the history of the church. And some of that has to do with the veneration of the saints or even just being aware of the presence of saints, you know, the whole cloud of witnesses thing are always there present with you. Yeah, I'll tell you you
1: something. When I went and visited in my adult life after I had pastored for several years, we moved to Nashville, I went into evangelism. A couple of times when I was uh, not on the road, I thought, I'm going to go check out different you know, sects of Christianity. So I went to the Methodist Church, and the week I was there, they were preaching something very hospitable to same-sex marriages. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, and then the, and then I went to the Catholic Church. I went to a few others. When I went to the Catholic Church specifically, there was something exhilarating about it. but that, And that could be interpreted by a person as, this is good. It could equally be interpreted as I'm doing something I'm kind of not supposed right. to do, and it's <laughs> You're, fun. You right. know? You're being a rebellious That, that could be Baptist. interpreted either way. Yeah. And so I don't know. Now, I'll tell you something that, that uh, was strange is there's a um, huge golden statue in the Church of the Incarnation in Nashville uh, on west end uh, of Jesus on the cross, and when I saw that, it reminded me that what I felt it was a strange sort of thing. It felt like I'm not sure where he says this, but somewhere C.S. Lewis says that when he went to I think it was Stonehenge, that there was almost like this mystical prompting to worship, but he knew it wasn't good, you know. Mm. And so he and so he resisted, and he he I, you know I I'm telling you there was something weird there.
0: Yeah.
1: In front of that big golden statue talking about the experiential side of things, but um, I can see, the point of that is, I can see why all that iconography and all of that, I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with iconography, but with all of that there and and that exhilaration for a Protestant of, I'm doing something I shouldn't do, and the same could be true in reverse with a Catholic who's used to all that stuff coming to a place that is much more casual and there's music and all that right. kind of there's, a, there's a. I'm not supposed to be doing this, and there is some stuff here that I see val- that seems valuable yeah. in some mysterious way, and that could be a tra- If we're saying the reason is not really theological at the base, I can see how it happens.
0: Yeah, both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even you and I are shedding a tear as the cathedral of Notre Dame is burning down. I mean, we Notre re- Dame. Yes, <laughs> it's Notre Dame where I'm from. When you see that kind of thing happen, man, it's uh, that's. I mean, I know it's a Catholic cathedral, but I'm like, that's a part of my Christian yeah. heritage as well. Well, it's like when we went to—I
1: remember i remember back when I was much more of a, a loudmouth, red-faced guy than I am now. I went to Israel with our church, and when I was pastoring in McMinnville, Tennessee, and we went to um, uh, Israel, and then we took a side trip afterwards for a few days in Rome.
0: Yeah,
1: I, was, I thought it was fantastic. We went to the Vatican. We saw all this stuff because whatever you want to say, this is a part of your— Christian heritage. This is a part of church history. It's
0: all around you. No, you're Baptist, yeah. man. You got to read that Trail of Blood. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> I don't yeah. need your charts and your
1: maps, okay? <laughs> the thing about it is it's a part of our religious history. That's right. And these people were like not wanting to be there. They were like they were like, "Man, this is lame all this Catholic stuff. I just want to go. We saw Israel. We saw where Jesus was. I don't need all this stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, but what are you talking about? Look at this. This is yeah. amazing." Uh, so something like uh, Notre Dame, yeah, we should we should hate to lose that. Yeah, you know. So for me, and just as a work of human for, creation. For me, you
0: you amen millions of Catholics coming into evangelicalism. Do you amen people going to Catholicism? No, absolutely not. Yeah,
1: because I, obviously I think that they are wrong in some big ways, or else I wouldn't. Or else I'd be a Catholic,
0: right? But you affirm that there will be Catholics in heaven. Yeah, of course. But you're like, you probably shouldn't go be a part of that church. That's right. And people also make the error of thinking that the Catholic church, you know, in 1200 is the same as the Catholic church in 2000. <laughs> right. It, it, there's a whole history there. Right. Weird popes throughout doing crazy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a lot of work for their apologists, you know, to have to grok with history. Yeah. Um, some of their history i'll I'll defend uh i can defend the first two crusades fine Uh, some of their
1: apologists are great too trent horn yeah is is a really good debater yeah um uh
0: i i like there's things about catholicism i like but here's the thing for me and again catholic viewers you know that we love you and we we're going to be in heaven with you even if you're i wonder how many we've got yeah but but here's the thing all the best that Catholicism has to offer that I don't think is crazy and I know that they think we're crazy you know you just you you're you and I are both our own popes right so what do you mean you don't like popes you're a pope to yourself and I'm a pope yeah it's more complicated but all the best things about Catholicism that you know rich theological tradition uh history uh if I want to burn incense <laughs> you know in my study I well, I can't hear in the office, but but I mean at home or whatever. I mean, you can have if you're an evangelical, you can have the best of Catholicism without the baggage of Catholicism. But but here's you the know? thing:
1: I, I don't want, as I'm thinking about what we're saying here, I don't want people to think that I'm conf- I'm affirming people in their Catholicism. No, you're asking me a specific question: Do I think that there will be Catholics in heaven? Right. Yes. Do I think that someone should remain a Catholic? Absolutely not. I think there is doctrine there that is serious enough that I would be very bothered if yeah. I was in the Catholic Church, and I think you need to. I think you need to leave uh, immediately. So yes, I will. I'll say that. Very, that's yeah. a warning. I think that's serious.
0: Yeah, and I'm saying that evangelicalism at its best can have the best of Catholicism without the stuff that mm-hmm. you're worried about. Yeah, yeah. So there's really no need, right? Because you could. Uh, uh, I don't know. I, I, we didn't even get to confession. We didn't even touch really on the problems of Pope and the Vicar of Christ and infallibility. Um, a lot of issues there. Anyway, I understand that evangelicalism is not perfect. You understand that as well. Uh, but evangelicalism is a big thing. Uh, Protestantism is a big thing. Um, there's there's room for more Catholics if you want to come swim back this way from the Tiber. Uh, and, and so we want to encourage, like, like you said, um, We want to encourage you to come try us. You know, uh, leave home. um, (laughs) I'm looking forward to finding out
1: what books Dr. Pritchett digs out of the thrift store next time. Yeah. Uh, And we'll discuss that as well. Hey, listen, we need patrons. We do. Just today we're going to buy a software that's going to help us more with interviews and stuff. And so, and it's a pricey software. And so when you give to this show, it makes things like that more possible. And um, so.
0: We won't have bad audio like last time. Yeah. If
1: you want to click up here somewhere, if you're watching by video, there's a little option. That, that will let you do that. Also, um, if you're listening by audio, you can go to patreon.com slash trinity radio. And I hope that you'll check out our sister podcasts in the Trinity Commission. Also, there's a Trinity Commission Facebook page that you can go get, uh, go click and you can see everything when it comes through from uh, Soteriology 101, The Bible Brodown, our show, and Steve Gregg's The Narrow Path. With that, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.
0: would like more content click here and keep watching bible studies click up here and finally we want you to subscribe we need more subscribers so click here